Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now, with no further ado, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Uh, lots going on. Uh, we'll start with um, what was described in the, um, in the uh, sort of title for tonight's discussion, and that was the death and funeral of uh, Al Jazeera journalist Shirin Abu Akleh. Um, I'm sure most already know the details that she was killed while Israel, uh, Israeli forces were in Jenin, which has become a hotbed for uh, terrorism, especially recently. Quite a lot of the terrorists who have murdered uh, Israelis in the last few weeks have come from uh, the Jenin area. And uh, the IDF and other security officials have been uh, conducting quite a sweep uh, day and night to a certain extent of many of the hotbeds of terrorist activity and uh, uh, what uh, conspired exactly in Jenin is still uh, not, not certain. What is certain is that the journalist uh, died from a bullet to the head. Um, as one can imagine, the Palestinians immediately blamed Israel and they went into uh, public relations overdrive that it was 100% Israelis, that even that they murdered her in cold blood from a short range and all these um, spurious accusations that unfortunately were uh, brought up by at least uh, parts of the world. Uh, Israel being the democracy that it is, being, let's just say, um, you know, a place where there's at least accountability, didn't want to jump to conclusions. They did say at first that it's more than likely that it came from Palestinian positions. They presented a few videos to try and uh, further their point. Uh, but they perhaps rightly so, in a, in a gunfight of this manner, could not say unequivocally it was their side or the other side. Uh, they asked uh, to do a joint um, forensic uh, analysis um, uh, on, on the body, on the bullet, on everything else with the Palestinians, but the Palestinians obviously said no, which leads many to believe and uh, to wonder in Israel what they had to hide. They wouldn't share the bullet even though the pathologist said that it's uh, unclear who shot it and there's no way they can unequivocally, uh, unequivocally uh, understand who it was. Um, and probably we will not know for a while, one way or another, um, if ever uh, Israel is conducting uh, its own investigation, but it's very difficult because it doesn't have access to many of the important pieces um, that would be necessary for such an investigation. Um, but we'll have to wait and see exactly what happened. Probably some of the worst scenes that were broadcast around the world. I remember seeing it on France 24 and they were considering everything else that's going on in the world. They were showing this live nonstop in the corner of the screen was the funeral. And again, it was a lot of, they said this, they said that. What seemed to be clear is that the funeral procession was supposed to take place uh, in a hearse um, to the burial uh, spot, and that's what had been understood and agreed on. 
there were Israeli forces to make sure that there were no uh, disruptions. Um, but then it appeared that other people took uh, it into their own hands and decided they were going to take the coffin by foot, uh, which would have been an almost uh, gargantuan, impossible task. Uh, and then some uh, riots have started taking advantage, standing behind the, the pallbearers and throwing at these uh, uh, missiles or whatever it is at the Israeli forces. And the Israeli forces reacted, and they were, which looked terrible scenes of the Israeli forces attacking even some of the pallbearers and others. And obviously, that's what was shown, not what happened before. Um, but it was it it, it looked bad. Uh, but Israel is investigating it, um, and it remains to be seen exactly what will happen. Uh, with the investigation. One has to understand uh, what happens on the ground with what uh, the terrorism that's gone on with some of the uh, nationalistic, as they call them, perhaps euphemistically, uh, slogans that were sung during the uh, funeral procession. One has to understand Arabic, obviously, to understand them, but things like we will murder all the Jews uh, were sung during one of the funeral processions and, and all that sort of thing. So you know, the places on edge after the uh, terrorist attacks in Elad, in Tel Aviv and elsewhere, uh, Israeli security forces are understandably a bit jittery about things like this. And one can imagine a funeral procession where people are chanting genocidal chants and throwing uh, uh, missiles, walking through an area populated by Jewish Israelis would make uh, any security forces a little bit jittery. Did they act Proportionally, did they act correctly, especially with the world's cameras on them? One could certainly argue that point, and hopefully an investigation will look into it and see what could be uh, done in a better way. What this means for internal Israeli politics uh, is that, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the 60-60 in the Knesset and Ram being an extremely important uh, member of the government, if it wasn't already before, the coalition. Um, and quite simply, the more disturbances there are, the more scenes like we saw and more on the Temple Mount, the harder it is for Ram to come to the government, especially Mansour Abbas, who really wants to stay in the government as, uh, as long as possible. It's harder for him to make the case. It's easier for those who are against uh, Ram's participation, future participation in the coalition, to come and say, you know, this is going somewhere. We are our true partners and our involvement in this coalition uh, is meaningful for the Arab public. So these scenes don't necessarily uh, mean too much for the average Israeli. It means a lot more for those watching uh, international media around the world. But it does have a knock-on effect for local domestic uh, uh, Israeli politics. Um, some interesting developments in the security arena this week. Uh, um, Israel's Defense Minister Benny Gantz is in the US as there are reports that an agreement, the JCPOA could be returned to, could be signed or something similar, the Iranian uh, nuclear deal. But perhaps just as interesting is that the US Central Command Chief, Michael Carilla, uh, is in Israel. And not just in Israel because, you know, he, he, this is, uh, he, he's been around the region, but what is interesting is he was taken to what's called the bore, I guess the translation is the pit in, in the, depths um, of the uh, Kiriyah, the Israel's defense ministry, and shown uh, information reportedly, shown Israel's capability, <clears throat> and even parts of, I'm sure he wasn't shown everything, parts of Israel's strategy uh, in what's called a worst case scenario. In other words, that Iran uh, is, is making its way to a nuclear bomb. What um, 
is interesting about this also is that the US will take part in what has been um, billed as one of the most important drills uh, in Israel's history. It's a month-long drill looking at all sorts of things, fighting abroad, fighting at home, fighting on the borders. But there is one very interesting element which is supposed to send a message to Tehran that Israel is also going to practice uh, the ability to strike um, uh, enemies uh, further afield. And obviously that's a euphemism for Iran. And the US will be, uh, will be supplying um, petrol uh, or, or gas um, uh, supply uh, airplanes, which is absolutely crucial because Israel would need such, um, such capability if it was ever going to have uh, strike, be able to strike Iran in multiple areas that would be necessary to, if they even dreamt to push back the nuclear program, let alone uh, destroy it. So there's a very important message there. Perhaps the Americans are trying to push the Iranians uh, closer to the table, but certainly from Israel's point of view, it looks good for them that the Americans are backing them, that the Americans are even taking part in their tactical and strategic um, uh, you know, uh, plans and preparations for such a thing. As one uh, member of Knesset uh, said this week, his biggest worry at the moment with everything else that's going on is obviously Iran getting a nuclear weapon. And he talked about various doomsday scenarios that wouldn't even uh, necessarily mean uh, a nuclear bomb landing on Tel Aviv. There are plenty of other nightmare scenarios they could do, which would be a step before, but still be extremely punishing for Israel. And what he did say, interestingly enough, he said that the Iranians are not hearing from the Biden administration, even what they heard from the, Ab uh, uh, from the Obama administration. He said, we're not even talking about what, uh, what Trump said, even if the Americans could talk like former President uh, Obama did, that the uh, military option remains on the table because he complained that we're not hearing that language from the Biden administration. And that's very worrying because the Iranians uh, were slightly deterred uh, during the Obama administration. They did believe that the military option was on the table. They didn't necessarily think it was the primary option, but they knew it was still there. So they went a little bit slower during the Biden administration. Uh, there is that. There is no fear. This is what someone who, who is relatively senior uh, said this week. So with all this going on in the background, uh, the trip by uh, Benny Gantz to uh, Washington to talk about Iran, especially perhaps potentially on the eve of a return to the GCPO and the uh, US Central Command uh, chief uh, being in Israel and sort of being given a hint that this is what Israel could do if it feels Iran is getting closer to the bomb. So certainly ratcheting up uh, the pressure. On the political front, um, it's, it's also, of course, very interesting uh, being in the Knesset speaking to members of Knesset and their parliamentary aides from all directions. Uh, it does seem that there uh, appears to be optimism that the government would see out this summer, uh, summer term and then uh, during the summer break and then we would return after the Jewish holidays. And that's when most suspect this government will break up. I still believe that it could break up earlier. Uh, it could very well last till the, after the uh, Jewish holidays, but there's a lot of moving pieces that would need to be uh, in place uh, for that to happen. What is interesting is that the sort of uh, flagship laws of this government, uh, the laws to limit uh, the tenure or terms to two terms 
of a future prime minister now seems extremely unlikely for a number of reasons. First of all, they pass through almost every single layer apart from one. And if they're not passed by next Monday, uh, they basically have to be legislated again. And it's proving very, very difficult. Don't forget, uh, these sort of laws are what's called basic laws, are quasi-constitutional laws, which uh, demand a 61 uh, majority. And with a coalition of 60, that's proving extremely problematic. The joint list had said, the joint Arab list, which is in the opposition, had said that it would support uh, such a bill. But now uh, what the opposition has cleverly done is made these bills into a no confidence vote on the government. And that is not something the joint list can stomach. So at this point, they're not going to vote for them, which means that uh, they basically will not be able to be voted on uh, during this Knesset. Um, what is becoming a bit of a battle that the coalition seems to be potentially winning is a very interesting law that's coming up, which was proposed by Defence Minister Benny Gantz, that uh, those who serve in the IDF will be able to receive two thirds of funding for further education after university, college, etc. Now, in normal times, this shouldn't be controversial and almost every Zionist party or every Zionist party would vote for it. But obviously, in this fraught political condition, uh, everything is seen in the context of coalition opposition. What the coalition is trying to do uh, because it understands, first of all, that has 60 even with Ram, and Ram probably won't vote for it, uh, that they're trying to put pressure on Likud uh, to say, you know, this is a Zionist value to, to give support to our soldiers. It's vitally important. How can you leave our uh, soldiers who, 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 who contribute their time, uh, you know, and even lives um, to the defense of the country? And we should uh, see to it that he could got put in an in a awkward position because to vote against this would be considered very unpopular. They came out with a relatively clever PR trick by saying, well, we would only support it if we give us 100% of the tuition. Now they know that's not going to happen because the budget is budgeted specifically for 66%, uh, two thirds, and to rebudget it would mean that it would go into next budget, which isn't going to pass as we've spoken about before. So it's a bit of a, a trick and finance minister has said, anyway, we would uh, take the, the final third for money, which is anyway put uh, aside uh, for these matters. So Likud is trying to, or at least uh, Netanyahu is trying to squirm out of it, but he was sort of beaten to it by the fact that uh, several of his uh, Likud members of Knesset said, there's no doubt we have to vote for this law, regardless of anything else that we are feeling. Uh, this is an important law and we cannot vote against it, which shows the pressure that has been put on, not just by the coalition, but also by uh, IDF officials, former IDF officials. Um, so if this is passed uh, next week, uh, this will certainly be uh, a win for the coalition. And it does seem that the coalition at this point is trying to get as many wins as possible by trying to find as many issues and votes and bills which uh, cannot be ignored by uh, the opposition. Obviously, this can only go so far, but that is the uh, tactic at the moment. Uh, an interesting byproduct of this is the ultra-Orthodox parties, which wouldn't necessarily support such a bill. If they were in government, they probably would support it. But don't forget, a large segment of the ultra-Orthodox population does not um, uh, go to the army, so they wouldn't be eligible for this. And also, they are complaining that they don't get enough stipends for yeshiva students. So they, they find this law a little bit problematic from their point of view, and they find it problematic that Likud is supporting such a coalition bill. And they have said that if you vote for this, we're going to demand many bills 
that we want uh, and demand that you support them and even find uh, coalition support uh, for them as well. Finally, before I go to questions, another interesting development came out this week. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, there was quite a controversy uh, when the government passed what was called the nation state law, which defined Israel as the national homeland of the Jewish people, defined for the first time ever put in law, things like uh, Hatikva being the uh, Israel national anthem and the uh, blue and white uh, Magid David, Star of David being the flag, et cetera, et cetera, and the languages. And it was considered controversial at the time because it didn't talk necessarily about minorities, uh, although proponents would argue that there are other basic laws that do. Um, as details were released uh, this week of a Druze soldier who comes from the Druze minority who was killed three years ago, uh, Avito Lima, finance minister, basically said it's time that we change the nation state law to ensure that our brothers, as he put it, the Druze brothers in arms, um, also feel that it's their state and we don't leave them out and propose that the nation state law be modeled far closer on the Declaration of Independence. Now, this isn't going to happen, and that's probably more about political um, uh, understandings. Israel Beitainu always have a significant vote from the Druze uh, community and even have one of their ministers from the Druze community, Hamad Amar. Um, so it's probably more to play for that because uh, Yamina and uh, New Hope, Gidon Saar's party, have said that they will not uh, countenance any change um, to the nation state law. Obviously, Ram are disappointed if it doesn't come up next week. At the moment, it isn't. So it will be interesting to see what happens with that. I don't see uh, how it can come up because of this right-wing uh, disagreements over it. And I don't think that it will be good enough for Ram to be able to come out openly uh, and support it. So these are all things that we've got to look forward to next week. But uh, as of now, I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Oh. All right, there we go. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you so much. Jacob Hirschman asks, uh, can you please comment on Gantz's report, reported comment that Israel could be swallowed up following the reported WhatsApp post referring to an Arab takeover of the Negev and Galil as being not that far from reality? I, I, I don't know what this is referring to. I haven't seen that, so I can't really comment on it. All right. Uh, D. Rohr Strauss asks, what about today's ruckus in the Knesset with the ugly insult from the joint Arab list? Could you comment on that? Well, it, was, it, it wasn't from the whole list. It was from Ahmed Tibi, who has been known as a controversial figure uh, for, for a while. Uh, it took place uh, with, um, um, I can't remember, uh, Merah Ben-Ari of uh, the Yeshatid party. Uh, again, it goes back to the whole sort of debate over uh, Shirin Abu Akleh, the Al Jazeera journalist. Um, basically, Tibi was um, talking about disturbances on the uh, uh, Temple Mount, what he would claim was excessive police violence against worshippers there. And uh, Mirab Ben Ari took exception to that. And uh, Tibi shot back at her, well, someone who says that they won't apologize for the as he put it, murder of uh, the Al Jazeera journalist is not going to give him you know, any comments. And then when she continued uh, to confront him, he called her human scum. Uh, now this is someone 
who has been uh, abused in the past by other members of the joint list. She was called a clucking hen at one point, which was considered a misogynist uh, comment. And she got quite emotional about it and left the plenum uh, in tears. It's unfortunately the type of thing that we see and hear far too often in the Knesset. Um, the diatribes, the discourse has certainly gone down. Uh, Ahmed Tibi was uh, uh, you know, taken out of the Knesset by uh, the deputy speaker at the time, Yevgeny Sova, um, for his comments, uh, what were described as disgraceful comments, which disrespected and dishonored the Knesset. And, and that's, uh, that, that's really what happened. There's not really much to say beyond uh, what uh, you know, deputy speaker Sava said that they were, dis you know, they were disgraceful and disgusting and uh, dishonorable uh, comments uh, for any Knesset member to make. So I can't, you know, there's nothing much more to be said uh, on that. All right, thank you. Uh, H. Fragman Abramson uh, asks, Gantz appears to be placating Ram by condoning building by the Palestinian Authority in Area C. What is your take? I don't think it's necessarily placating uh, Ram. We have seen uh, that even in previous governments. Granted, the previous government for this, uh, Defence Minister Gantz was also um, uh, he was also defense minister, but that was without Ram. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about that for, for a lot of time. It's mostly, I would say, not necessarily to placate Ram, it's to placate the international community, the international community, especially the Europeans, but also the Americans, um, are very keen on allowing Palestinian building uh, in Area C. But that being said, the majority of it is very, very close to Palestinian areas. It's not in the middle of a an Israeli area, it's not uh, too close uh, to Israeli towns and cities in Judea and Samaria, and it's a, a relatively minimal amount. But I would say it's less about Ram and more about placating the international community. Thank you. Debbie Friedman asks, according to Carolyn Glick, Mansour Abbas uh, is working to undermine Israel's sovereignty on the Temple Mount, along with Jordan's king and Turkey's Erdogan, which would also undermine Israel's legitimacy in general and that Bennett is tone deaf to this. Can you please comment? I, I would disagree with that. Uh, you know, Mansour Abbas has his electorate and he has his issues and is a religious Muslim. Obviously, Al-Aqsa is very dear to him. And I would say more than he particularly, uh, you know, more than it's an issue for him, it's an issue for the Arab street, uh, the Muslim street, uh, uh, much of his base. He is someone who's really trying, and, and you can see it, really trying hard to maintain his relations with this government, with this coalition, trying to stay inside. He's really trying to fight off those who would leave it tomorrow. Um, I, I would say that's not necessarily the case. Behind the scenes, he's really trying to find solutions, uh, moderate solutions for this. Again, he's not going to become a Zionist overnight. He's not going to become someone who, who believes that Israel is going to have more rights on the Temple Mount and the Muslim population less. But I certainly would disagree with that characterization that he's working to undermine. If he was given a, a carte blanche, obviously, uh, like many, if not most Muslims, he would prefer uh, there'd be no Jewish visitors or perhaps even no non-Muslim visitors um, and certainly having no uh, Israel security forces up there, but certainly, you know, he, he's not from the hawkish side of Ram. He's more of the dovish side. He does want a partnership. He made very interesting comments today at Reichman University where saying, you know, partnerships between Jews and Arabs 
should be the end, not just the means to the end. We really need to work together. We need to find a way to work together. And, and, and I see most of the comments that Mahmoud, uh, that Mansour Abbas, I should say, has made uh, over the last year. Again, if we're, if we're wanting to become a passionate Zionist and agree with us on every point, well, there's plenty of Zionists who don't agree with uh, uh, many of the things that happens on the Temple Mount. So I don't think that's a fair characterization. And I think that him individually um, is really trying as much as possible to try and become a moderating force in Arab politics rather than the opposite. Thank you. Uh, just asked, will Ayman Udeh and Ofer Kassif face any repercussions for attacking a police officer? And will the Supreme Court ever back removing Knesset members who are against the idea of a Jewish state? Um, well, the first thing, uh, there are investigations. Uh, there are calls for the investigations, including from the Speaker of the Knesset, who certainly can recommend lifting uh, immunity. It's, it's quite a difficult process to lift the immunity of any uh, member of Knesset. Uh, so there's quite a, a process uh, to go through. Um, so it remains to be seen exactly how far pro that process will be. And as I've uh, touched on this before about the, um, uh, the Supreme Court uh, going against um, some members of Knesset who have not supported Israel being the national homeland of the Jewish people, Unfortunately, that will probably continue just because of the, the politics of the situation, not necessarily the legality of the situation. There has been many uh, members of Knesset from our parties um, who have called into question the legitimacy of Israel as a Jewish state, uh, but they have not been removed from the electoral process. And I don't see that necessarily changing in the future. Thank you. A little off topic here. Carrie Hillebrand asks, what significance, if any, do you see with uh, Hezbollah and its allies losing the parliamentary majority in the Lebanese parliamentary elections? Um, well, it's significant because Hezbollah has certainly been losing popularity with the economic situation. Don't forget the blast in the port uh, in Beirut uh, a while back. They're definitely uh, hemorrhaging uh, support, but uh, one shouldn't overlook uh, the Lebanese political situation is just going to be, it's, it's not going to necessarily weaken them unless the other two blocks can work together, which remains to be seen. There's three blocks in, uh, in, in uh, Lebanese politics. Uh, Hezbollah's block certainly lost uh, in the recent elections, but it remains to be seen whether any of the blocks can work together to form a government. So it just seems that there's going to be a bit of a vacuum uh, for now. Um, so it's certainly not good for Israel when there's a vacuum. It's not good when, when Hezbollah are in power in Lebanon either. It'd be great for Israel. It'd be great for stability and peace in the region if the other two blocs uh, get together. But don't forget Hezbollah is more than just a political party. It's a paramilitary force with, with a lot of strength, physical strength, military strength. Um, so they, they wouldn't give up on power, any sort of power very easily, and they would use the gun uh, perhaps to do what the ballot box didn't. So um, while it certainly is significant that Hezbollah lost popularity uh, in the elections, what's going to happen next is, is still uh, open to question, but it does seem that there's going to be a lot of uh, further instability in Lebanon in the near future. All right, and bringing us back full circle, uh, Robin Jonas asks, uh, the pictures during the funeral of the Al Jazeera 
funeral were very disturbing. Can you explain why the Israeli police used force? Uh, again, I know, I'm sorry, you went over this already. Or what happened? And how can this be avoided in the future? Are there plans in place? Well, there's no plans in place because no one could foresee such an, an event as this. Um, but what the Israeli police said, and, and, and this is what they put out, that they had agreed with the family um, of the journalist that uh, the procession would be in a, the coffin would be in a hearse and it would be taken to its final resting place. Um, and that's clearly not what happened. What they claim, uh, the Israeli police, is that, uh, that a mob came into the hospital and took the, uh, took the coffin and decided to try and uh, proceed uh, on foot. The Israeli police, at the same time, were then uh, being charged and, and throwing things out. Uh, and they reacted. Did they react in the right way? That remains to be seen. There's an investigation ongoing. Were the, were the pictures and the scenes, did they look bad on international TV? Absolutely. Did the international, uh, many of the international journalists talk about or show the initial scenes of the coffin being taken and the, uh, the rocks and the petrol bonds being thrown? Did they show the um, chance of the funeral procession where they called to murder Jews, knowing that the procession could go through a highly uh, populated Jewish area? No. So the, the, the pictures that made the international media certainly looked bad, but they certainly weren't uh, the whole story. But could the uh, Israeli police have done better? Again, that's for an investigation to decide, but hopefully that they will learn lessons because, again, it's very, very difficult to foresee exactly uh, what's going to happen? Could they have just allowed the whole procession to happen and been hijacked by rioters? Uh, and and it, could it have descended into violence and even bloodshed? It's possible. That's certainly what the Israeli uh, security and police forces uh, worried about most. So they felt that they had to be on the ground. They felt that they had to have an understanding with the family. They invited the brother of the journalist uh, into the police station the night before to try and work out uh, what would happen to explain what and where the uh, Israeli police uh, would be and what they would be doing. So a lot of it was known before. Uh, unfortunately, there were also those clearly who wanted to try and uh, score points and use uh, the, the journalist body and coffin for political agenda. That's clearly what ended up having happening. Were, were all the mourners involved? Absolutely not. Were there some who pretended to be mourners to try and uh, score political points and make it uh, into an international incident, which it clearly became? Absolutely. All right, thank you so much again for uh, readdressing that. Uh, we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Rich Gazal uh, discussing persecuted Christians of the Middle East. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.